Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Blizzard Watch, the podcast where we talk about Blizzard Entertainment and its many games. I'm Matt, and with me this week is my fantastic co-host, Joe Perez. Joe, how are you doing? Uh, apparently, I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, I, I'll eventually I'll change it up to amazing or something. <laughs> I figure you do it to me every week on Lore Watch. I could do it here. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, sorry, the Pink Panther was a really important movie to me in high school. Um... I'm a little tired. Sorry. This week, we're going to quickly talk about some stuff and then move on to your emails and so forth. But uh, one of the things I did want to do is talk about Revendreth. Because as I said during the pre-show, I've gotten to play a little bit of it now. I've gotten not very far into it, but far enough to get a sense of it. Did some quests, talked to the natives. Um, It's going to be an interesting zone because it's a very different kind of story than anything I've ever seen in a World of Warcraft game before. And it's. It, I think if you play Forsaken, you might have the best grasp of this kind of story, because it is. De- it's very definitely about themes of death and and the things you do in life and redemption and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's a very different aesthetic. It's. This is. I, I think I've described it a couple of times now as like the Ravenloft of World of Warcraft, and it definitely has a certain vibe that's like that. Uh, I think I've also described it as goth Christmas a couple of times. Yeah, I've heard that from uh, a few people that are in the uh, the alpha. They've described it as uh, goth Christmas. It, it just it's 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 pulling out a lot of stops. Um, I really like the Stoneborn. They're they're really interesting and cool. Uh, and the the little cinematic that played when I went into the zone. There's a cinematic about like two three or four quests in. There's a cinematic that you can get through. And that cinematic is, is it's not finished, so it has the big boxes over it saying, you know, not yet finished, you know, don't take this too seriously sort of thing. But it's still already in its unfinished state. It was still very interesting and fun to watch. And it made me want playable Stoneborn for the Horde really badly. Uh, because 
you know you loved gargoyles as a kid. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and you could finally play as one. Like seriously, you're it's their Goliath. The the Stoneborn are Goliath from from the from Gargoyles. That's what that's where they are. Um the fact that they haven't gotten Keith David to do voices for them is a crime because seriously, that's what they are, and they should totally become playable. I agree. Uh, but from your have you gotten a chance I know you haven't gotten a chance to play it. Have you gotten a chance to look at any of it? I've looked at it. Uh doesn't quite have the same feel, but I've I've looked at some of the the still frames for it and it's definitely Revendreth seems like it's going to be a really fun, cool zone that sort of plays off of, I want to say the culmination of all of the spookies that, that they've tried to do over the years. It's got that, that just that, that creepy Gothic vibe. And I really dig that. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I, one of the things that I'm, I wish that you were in the alpha just so you could get to see some of the story stuff. Cause I would like to talk about it. This is obviously not lore watch. So I wouldn't want to go into into deep spoilers or anything, but one of the, the interesting ideas that you get you get as soon as you zone in, like you you are there, you talk to the first guy, he takes you on a little tour, you talk to the next guy, and he t- basically he's like mentions the concept of the sin stone, which is basically somewhere in Revendreth for everybody who comes there, there's like a little memorial tombstone, and that thing has everything you've ever done on it. Like all the bad stuff that you've done that you might be ashamed of or want to, you know, either want to redeem yourself for or straight up want to hide from people. And one of the encounters that you get is with a unrepentant soul who straight up won't admit he'd ever did anything wrong or she. You can't tell because it's it's just this distorted soul being tormented by one of the by the, the vent there. And the vent there is just as desperate as the soul. The soul is like, I won't give you what you want. I won't admit that I was wrong. I won't say the, these things. You, you will never break me. And, and the uh, vent there is like, you know, seriously, this would be better for both of us if you just give up. Um, because, the, the, you know, they're having that soul drought, the, the anima drought that we all know about that's a big part of the expansion. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting that they give it to you right away. You see this right away. This is like three or four, like not even three or four minutes, like less than that into the zone. And this is right there. Um, and that to me is really fascinating. There, there's a Revendreth of all the zones feels like it's doing something that they've tried to do before, but never quite pulled off. And I'm really interested to see if they can pull it off this time. The concept of, you know, a story where you get to see both sides of the narrative. You get to see, the the side of you know the 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 one one faction and then the other faction and the rebel faction here i don't feel like it's a spoiler to tell you that they they do not take kindly to your presence right away no you i mean have, that's that's pretty much the mo every time we go somewhere no it's not <laughs> this is not like this is not like that this you know in a lot of faction in a lot of cases the guys you're going to end up working for even if they're the bad guys or up front like if, instead of that they just want you out of the way and they take steps mm-hmm. immediately. As soon as you show up, it's a lot front loaded in this. And I really want to see how it all plays out. I haven't gotten that far yet. Like I said, um, the storytelling is really interesting in this expansion. Uh, I think they've for the last couple. Um, I think this really started in warlords warlords. You started in a zone. Yeah. But then after you started in the zone, you could kind of branch out and you could go different places depending on what you wanted to do. 
And that led to like the first zones in, in Warlords, uh, Frostfire, and uh, why can't I remember the one I actually played in? Shadowmoon Valley. Shadowmoon Valley. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Frostfire and Shadowmoon Valley both had a, like a cohesive narrative that started in one place and ended in a place, and the endings were pretty good. All the I zones still... really did. Oh yeah, but because you didn't know where you were going to go next, the expansion's through point wasn't. It was like. The expansion throughway was go to you when you went to Tanan. That's when the next major part of the expansion happened. Okay. Whether you went whether you went there immediately, or if you went there after you did several other zones, it was always Tanan was going to be where you got the next big story beat, and so you you could control to a degree how it felt flow wise, and I think they tried to they they took that and said looked at it and said let's do that again. And that's why Legion and Battle for Azeroth have ver- felt very much like you can go wherever you want to go. Like there's a brief opening, there's an initial story hook that gets you in, and then you can go anywhere you want to go. They didn't do that this time. Uh, Revendreth is the last zone you go to. Um, Bastion is the first zone you go to. It, it is. A, really that it, it's hmm? a very interesting bookend, actually. Yeah, and uh, not just that. You go to every zone in order. Like every single one of them, you go from one to the next in order. You don't, there's no, you can't choose at any point in time. You go to these zones and the order that the story progresses in. And it's very, very reminiscent to me of burning crusade where okay. you start, you go to hellfire peninsula. Then you go to uh, the, the marsh with all the mushrooms and names completely blotted out. Cause I don't remember it anymore. Zangermarsh. Uh, I remember Zangermarsh. Thank you. And you go from Zangermarsh. Once you get to Zangermarsh, you could, you started getting like, oh, okay, I can go here or here. I can go to Blade's Edge or I can go to Nagrand if I've gone high enough in level. You know, you know what I'm saying? But this was even more, this is even more directed than that. This is, you will be going to these zones in this order. And I think that's fascinating considering what they've done the past couple of expansions. This no. is me shutting up so you can talk. I mean, I I don't know really what to add to it. It's it's something that I think was necessary, if that makes sense. Like, I I, I don't know. Like, it it gives you this sort of it's the adventure thing, right? It's it's sort of coming back to where it all begins is such a a weird adventure trope that almost nobody used for like ever and then burning crusade did it and then even technically no miss didn't really yeah miss kind of did it because we went to the to the veil and that's where our main hub was uh and then we ended in the veil it it just it gives you this wonderful feeling of coming full circle and i kind of enjoy that I, i think that's i think that's smart i think it's something that on a subconscious level helps players right it gives you sort of that it's like coming back home. It's like coming back to rest your feet after a long walk. Like it just feels good to be back where you started and just relax. Um, even if it's not actually relaxing, I'm, you know, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? I understand the basic gist. Yeah. But it's one of the things that I wanted to talk about in terms of, of how this expansion is going to work in that. I don't know that we get any sense of going back to where it started. It feels more like you go step by step into a steadily worsening problem. And every step along the way is you basically trying to prevent well, this problem from getting worse than it is. But 
it's just it's really interesting narrative flow wise. It's a flow that I haven't seen them do in a while, um, because Battle for Azeroth. I mean, I have my problems with Battle for Azeroth, and I, I've never been shy about them. One of the things it did really well, um, especially now that I've seen enough of the Horde storyline, I can say this, especially for the Horde. Um, the Horde storyline, no matter how you do it, does a good job of, of giving you the idea of why you want to oppose the things that are happening. Like, what, where, do you, where are the stakes here? What is you, where do you fall in here? Um, not just with Zul, although I think they do an amazing job with Zul and Rastakhan and Talanji and Bwonsamdi of, of getting you a sense of, you know, ooh, oh, okay, all right, that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does a really good job with the old god stuff too. Like the fact that the old god stuff is, it's through all three zones, and it's really strong in both Nazmir and Voldun. And you, you know, it's what's Zul's plan? How is he trying to like free Gahoon? What's going on? This is all explained extremely well if you play Horde side. And not so much if you don't. Um, and that was a problem for me. And I think that's why they're doing it the way they're doing it now, where both factions experience the exact same zones and the exact same story. Because at least that way, both factions have an equal understanding of what the stakes are and what's happening. Yeah, and I think I think that was a conscious decision based off of how Battle for Azeroth went, because Battle for Azeroth, I think, was... There's a lot of things they experimented with here. And, and that's true of every expansion, right? Like... Every time you move forward, they experiment with something, whether it's a different system or a different way of doing quests or story or whatever. There's always something new. And this is the first time we really had like a heavy split to the point where, I mean, you, myself and Anne were going back and forth with things that like I got to see that like you didn't get to see because you weren't playing Horde and vice versa. Like it was just these big chunks that were yanked from the story that the other side didn't get to see. And I think that's the first time they really ever truly did that. And it didn't, I mean, they, they did it in zones before. Like, like I think um, storms Stormheim is a really good example of, I want to say storm song, but that's not it. Um, that's a good example of the getting the story from two different sides. And I think that's possibly a precursor to what they ended up doing. Sure. And, and they kind of did it in, in the warlords of Draenor. World is Draenor. If you play Horde, you're you're getting a different story in Frostfire than the one that the Alliance gets in Shadowmoon. It's very different, and in some cases, like I like the the Shadowmoon story better, but objectively, I feel like the Frostfire story is done extremely well because you got me to cry over Gennar's death. Yeah, but I think the difference between those those two though versus what they did in Battle for Azeroth. And and not to like just stay on the point or whatever because we we have a ton of other stuff we can be talking about, uh, but it's one of those things where you still eventually participated in the culmination yeah. of those the zones. Vast majority, right? Yeah, absolutely. The vast majority of zones were the same horde or alliance. I mean, there were like there were differences in that you'd go to a horde leveling sure. area instead of a, but still the story more or less went the same way. BFA was um, like a huge divergence across oh yeah, totally. everything, and, right? And the stuff that each faction did in the other factions' leveling zones didn't convey the story. Yeah, at, at all. Way. So well, yeah, I mean, I'm totally, totally with you there. Yeah, and that, so with this approach coming a little more unified, I think I think that's important, and I think that's I think it's better this way. But this is just my personal opinion. You know, everybody's welcome to their own. 
but I I think it makes more sense to have sort of that cohesive thing of, of showing all the players, every faction, what's going on, what's at stake. And then instead of it being faction driven, which there are going to be faction things, right? You choose where you go and you immerse yourself in that story at the max level, right? And the, and the max level things that is very different and it's very unique, but it's not unique to Horde or Alliance. It's unique to, I chose one of these four covenants. So I get to see that covenant story. Yeah. And that way it's not limited to, well, I picked Horde, so I had to see like Horde stuff. It's, you know, I'm, I'm Horde, your Alliance, but we both chose the uh, night phase and we both see the night phase stuff. I think that's a better approach, but I also want to say something in, in regards to what you just talked about. Sure. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting about them going to that approach this time is it doesn't, I don't feel like they're doing it with a, we'll never do this again mentality. I think they're doing it with a, for this story, it makes more sense yeah. for the Alliance and Horde to basically not be, it doesn't matter which faction you're in when you're dead or in the land of the dead. Nobody in the land of the dead cares about the Alliance or the Horde. You no, know, they care about like, your tasty soul. Yeah. It's like, you know, what are you doing? What are you, what are your tasty soul? Although that's not how I would have put it. <laughs> um, but more importantly, what are you doing? What do you represent? What do you, what does this mean for what's happening to us? And that's why, I mean, I, I, I do feel like it's a, it's an interesting approach to this story. Um, and I, I am looking forward to seeing how we, how it moves forward from there. But, yeah. That's that's one of the the reasons like I really want to I'm I'm hoping that I get to dig in a little bit earlier because I want to see how that sort of grows from what it is. And I want to spend a lot of time digging into it because this is the type of story that really intrigues me is not when it's a faction divide, not when it's a faction war, not when it's, you know, this 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 like I'm missing things. It's here's the story. Here's the factions. Here's everything. And here's this mystery afoot, go figure it out or whatever it is that's unifying everything together. And that always feels better to me. It's kind of like how I liked order halls uh, for not because they were this big thing where I could like hang out with my alliance buddies because we had no control over who was there. But it was interesting to me to see these organizations that didn't care about your faction. It was about your class or what was happening with that story. And I always like that a little bit more. I, I've never yeah. been really into the faction divide personally. That's so. My only problem with the order of halls was that because there were so many of them, it uh, wasn't as in depth. Some as of them ended been. up. Re- well, no, some of them really opened up and did really great storytelling stuff, and some of them really weren't all that great. Um, I, I say this as a warrior lover, a warrior fanatic. I'm always going to play the class, but our order hall story was like B was B tier at best. It wasn't that great. It, it didn't. It didn't do anything that felt really warrior centric. The Paladin Order Hall, the Priest Order Hall, the Death Knight Order Hall, the Shaman Order Hall, those all felt really important in class inter- integrating. They felt like it was, you know, important to be a shaman and doing these shaman things in the Shaman Order Hall and going to like, you know, the Firelands and deciding who's the new Fire Lord is and going to Neptalon and saying that was a disappointing letdown that we didn't get to see what happened with you in the face auger Neptalon. And he was like, Oh yeah, my bad. And you know, or the paladin one, which is just chock a block with crazy fun stuff or the death Knight one where you go and you raise the four horsemen. And when you go to get the fourth horseman, it does not go well. <laughs> and that's just, I loved that. Cause it was such a, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like you go in there and, 
and you are rocking house and you are beating up lore figures, like objectively the death Lord that you played is on a level where you can go toe to toe with the biggest paladins in Azeroth. Yeah. Um, and you, and you don't, you don't kick their butts, but you don't lose. And then of course you do something incredibly stupid and try to dig up Tyrion Fordring and take him to go raise him from the dead. And the Holy light doesn't like this idea. Oh, it's just, and it's just it's a fun big moment, and like like I said, not all the the class order halls felt like that. So I think going down to four is a good workaround yeah, here. I think so too. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the jailer, but it, but I don't want to yeah. get too into it again. Lore watch. So let's just say they've data mined the jailer model. Uh, give me one thing you think of when you look at it, and then I'll give you my one thing and see what you think. Uh, they very clearly play Age of Sigmar because that's 100% an Idoneth deep, Idoneth deep kin type character. So, okay. uh, like a very I, small I, subset subsection of our listeners will understand that. <laughs> I don't play Age of Sigmar, although I do know what it is. Fish elves. I know some of them. Yeah, I know some of them actually do play Warhammer. I don't think they do play Age of Sigmar. I think they play just no. Warhammer 40k. I, I happen to know uh, several of them that no, I interact just, with on that level. Just the ones I know. Just yeah. the ones I know I'm talking about. Yeah. But the one thing I noticed, did you notice that he has a giant hole in his chest? Yes. Okay. That was it for me. Giant giant hole in his chest that uh, looks very anime. Yep. Okay. So we're going to move on to doing them their emails because we do have a few to go through. And we're almost at the halfway point. Uh, yeah, we're pretty close. Yeah. So we're going to do that now. Joe, Joe reads them for us. Uh, before we do that, though, if you have an email for the show, um, you can go to our Discord channel. Uh, it's We have a Discord server, and there's a channel called uh, Patron Q and Podcast Questions. You can ask questions for the show directly there, um, or you can email them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzardwatch so we know it's for this show. Uh, or if you ask a Diablo question for the other show and Joe doesn't get it in time, I will steal it. <laughs> and put it here because that's just me. Uh, no, but seriously, if you have a you know a question on any subject, it can be about you know BlizzCon. It can be about old Blizzard games like Rock and Roll Racing or the Lost Vikings. Uh, it can be anything. Like if you you know you can ask a question that has nothing to do with Blizzard, I might put it in the email. You never know with me. I'm crazy. I'll do anything. Uh, so yeah, go ahead and send those in. We love getting them because it's half the show, guys. You know, it it helps quite a bit. Uh, Joe, if you don't mind reading. Not at all. Uh, Hello, watchers. You got a little ranty with game mechanics on Lore Watch, but it does need to be addressed. The Holy Trinity. Or rather, do we need it? The Three. Tank doing fight control, damage tearing down NPCs' hopes and dreams, and healers doing what it says on the tin. Cues are wonky. How about for an extended DPS queue, you get a six-man random group. One healer, five murder hobos. No healers either. The Magnificent Seven Brutes. Lose control and healing for sheer power. Any thoughts on the issue? Throwing gasoline on the fire. Easy target. You want to go first or you want me to go? Go for it. The cues are messed up. Uh, there's just no other way to say it. Um, Five-man random queuing. Even even LFR queuing. The cues are messed up. And I think LFR really exacerbates the problem because... If you look at five main groups, you have one tank, one healer, and three DPS per group. Mm-hmm. If you scaled that perfectly up to a 25-man LFR, you would have 
five tanks. Five healers. And then you would have three times five. You'd have 15 DPS. But it's rarely more than one or two healer in, in a LFR group. I think two is the most I've ever seen. They're supposed to have four, I think. But yeah. I have not seen that. I've seen them go with two quite frequently. Um, in terms of healers, four four is about the maximum I've seen. I think I'm not saying I think you said healers and meant tanks. No, I mean healers you, this time. This time, the first time I think you said healers and meant tanks. Okay, no, I meant tanks that time. Yep, there you go. That no, makes more okay. sense with our comments. <laughs> yeah, tanks. Tanks only tanks two. two. That's the most I've ever seen. Uh, healers four. Yep, is the most I've ever seen. Uh, and that means that instead of 15 DPS, you're looking at 18 DPS per per 25-man group. And that almost, it takes forever. And it is just, I mean, the DPS can, can fill out. You'd expect it to fill out immediately and you'd be great, but it doesn't happen. Because DPS wait and drop and come in and wait and drop because of the unbalanced, you know, we've... we've Reduce the tank and healer quotient. This should speed it up, right? And yet there's something that makes it so LFR does not feel sped up at all. And dungeon groups, forget it. And yeah. I think the, the the advent of Mythic and Mythic Plus being where it's at for dungeons, which something you can't randomly queue for, has had an even worsening effect on random queuing for dungeons. Because people don't want to do them at all. They want to go do the ones that actually matter. They want to do Mythics and Mythic Plus. They want to go as far into that as they can. Not, And this isn't raiding I'm talking about. This is purely for dungeons. Um, with people using OpenQ and using you know tools that, to allow them to queue up directly, and it, those queues are right in the UI now, you see a lot of just... I do feel like there is, needs to be something. I do feel like there needs to be a way to like play as a DPS player and get a group much quicker than we do now. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know that we, at this point, that World of Warcraft can abandon a role. Yeah. So this is a problem that I've been thinking about for years at this point. Uh, literal decades. Because this is this is not a unique problem to, to World of Warcraft in any regard or any MMO. This This is a problem that has existed since before most of us were even on this earth, uh, like RPGs going back tabletop style, very, very seldom are there ones that you don't need some form of tank or don't need some form of healer. Like that Holy Trinity is the Holy Trinity for a reason. It's been there since the very beginning. And it's a problem that I don't know can be easily solved. Now I will say Blizzard has actually gotten exceptionally close to this as far as solving this in Missa Pandaria. And I imagine that we haven't seen a whole lot of it since is because it's probably an absolute horrible nightmare to program or balance right, but scenarios were going to be the solution to this. And what they're describing here, Easy Target, is exactly what they did in scenarios. It was queue up for a scenario it's three players, doesn't matter what it is. And I think, uh, and I have not really followed a whole lot of the Torghast stuff, but Sage Time and Chat is saying Torghast is very much the same, right? It's one to five, it's a scenario thing, 
and there's not really like a set role type thing for it. They haven't done a lot of that before now, and I think it's something that needs to come back because to me, those are some of the most fun things you can do because they're not necessarily heavy mechanic driven. They're not, you know, aggro management. It's not super healing intensive and all the classes now have an ability to heal themselves to some degree. Like it's, that's probably the closest you can get to solving that problem. But as far as like the larger content goes, when you talk about raids or, or things like that, I don't think it's something you can do. Raids and dungeons are sort of, they're sort of locked in at this point. And I think that they're on their own trajectory and anything that sort of shatters that is off to its own, its own little branch on the tree. Right. And like I said, it's a problem that, that, I mean, even D and D, uh, Wizards of the Coast has been struggling with that in D and D forever. They're just now starting to get close to it, uh, with D and D fifth edition, but they still have problems with that, and they still. Have I would really I would outright it. argue that fifth edition just simply abandoned the concepts. Uh, like, minus tank, at, if, I would I would say tank's the only one it can't it doesn't abandon. Yeah, it did because my barbarian is incredibly hard to kill, but also does ridiculous amounts of damage, mm-hmm. and that's the tank concept doesn't allow for both. The tank concept, you are a tank but you're not a damage dealer. This is dumb because of what do we invent tanks to do in real life. A tank actually does a ton of damage. That's yeah. why we have, them. they have a cannon on the top. Um, but that's not for you for a long time. World of Warcraft has been completely unwilling to abandon that concept. And every time they came up with a mechanic or an ability, a play style that made tank damage go up, it gets nerfed going all the way back to vengeance. Remember vengeance. Yep. Remember the ridiculous amount of damage you could do as a tank with Vengeance and how much yep. we all loved it who were tanks? Yep. Um, and then, of course, they got rid of it because DPS players were complaining that it was demoralizing to see the tank doing like three times their DPS. Uh, and I get why people felt that way. I didn't agree then and I don't agree now. But that's the kind of thing that I think 5th Edition has gotten more comfortable with letting players who play those kind of roles do a ton of damage. Yeah, it's... I don't disagree. It's gotten better, and it's it's gotten and pretty close to it, I think. I think for an MMO, it will always be a point of contention. And honestly, I I feel like the Hunter, for a while, was the perfect blend of tank and DPS. Yeah. In that with their, pet, with their pet, they had a really good survivable tank that could stay up through a lot of punishment that they could also keep up. And at the same time, what? they could add damage themselves. And Let's... I think... Warlocks kind of had it too. I was just going to say, let's not undersell Warlocks. I think Warlocks actually did it better than than Hunters. Warlocks kind of, their pets weren't as good, but the Warlock themselves often could just stay up forever. Yep, especially during Burning Crusade, especially. Not just Burning Crusade. uh, I remember doing uh, Legion stuff, and Alex, we were doing the the leveling stream, and Alex would be playing his Warlock. And let's be clear, Alex didn't know how to play a Warlock. But that's fine because I was tanking on the Death Knight, which at the time I was like, um, this button seems to make things mad. Cool, I'll use that. Uh, but he would just, like, I'd be dead and he'd still be up and things couldn't kill him. Just couldn't. He, he was like, nah, I'm still alive. Still doing DPS. So, yeah, I, I, they have done it in the past. I think to a certain degree it wouldn't hurt the game very much to abandon the tanking if you made it so that DPS players had enough tricks to effectively do the tanking role, but there's no way to get rid of 
the concept of if the thing just starts doing damage to everybody, if everybody is a tank, you've seen all tank raids like like Blood Death Knight raids and stuff, and the the Demon Hunter ones. You've seen those raids. You've seen them do our older content. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's feasible, but it changes the mechanics of the game so much that you really have to watch out for it. And it does make certain classes. It the idea of the mage who is as hard to kill as a warlock. It's like it just does not fit mages very well. Mages should be doing a ton of damage and then, you know, making an eep sound and going into an ice block as soon as you get near them. Uh, if if mages just go, ha ha, I, I avoid your damage with my 17 different ways I have to avoid damage, it does kind of blur some lines. And I'm not sure that it, that's the best way to approach it. But at the same time, you know, I know a lot of mages who'd love to tank. So I got... I got maybe the Wrath of the Lich King Death Knight was the best possible approach. Well, I, I mean, don't know. as Sage Shine points out in chat, another good candidate for that was how Guild Wars 2 approached everything, where every class in the game was a hybrid, um, or is a hybrid, it's still going, and and you built yourself to fill whatever role you needed, and it gave you sort of the freedom to sort of move that around a little bit, whether it was a healer, tank, or DPS. Um, I, I, I think, again, this is something that I think game companies, game developers want to do and i think they're slowly starting to figure it out so i think we will eventually get a game whether it's world of warcraft or something else that that sort of breaks that holy trinity all right our next one and this one is specifically a question for the rossi queue and this is from wonderbolt have you ever considered running a tabletop campaign using the system and mechanics from greedfall well since you know a lot about T- about tabletop gaming, I'm hoping you will speak as well. I don't think you've played Dreamfall, have you? I have not. That's why I, See, I'm going to lean on you for that part of it. See, here's the problem. Uh, I don't feel like Greedfall's mechanics are particularly distinctive. Um, <laughs> like, I liked Greedfall. I played it. I had a good time playing it. I thought it, it did a lot. It took a lot of risks and did a lot of cool stuff. But its mechanics were pretty bog standard. This was a computer role-playing game in the Bioware style, and it was not ashamed to be in the Bioware style. Had this game come out from Bioware, there would be differences, but those differences would primarily be storytelling. Um, this was not a game where the mechanics made me stand up and take notice at any point. Uh, and I feel a little bit bad about that because I'd love to say, oh yeah, I'd love to use that mechanic, but the mechanics in it weren't that unique i mean there's there is an interesting concept that you bind yourself to the land to get your magic that that i've seen before in say dark sun going all the way back to dark sun here guys so there was stuff in it that was neat and new and interesting but it didn't feel like it would be very very hard to do greedfall in D and just use D classes and never once feel like i was missing anything that made greedfall special so, no, I haven't thought about using the mechanics of Greedfall in, a, in an RPG. I've thought about stealing ideas, and I have, and someday you guys will see it. Because if you watch the leveling, if you watch the uh, D&D streams we do, I have stolen ideas from Greedfall for that game, but we never go to the places where they are. I Sorry. tried so hard. I tried so hard to get this group to go to the big magical city I made, and they won't go there. It's like, 
big magic city right there. No, we got to get away from it. We have to hide. We're not up for this. It's like, oh my God. I spent time, I designed a big magic city and they won't go to the big magic city. <laughs> the players will never do what you expect them to do. Um, so I feel like I've answered your question. I, I hope I didn't make you feel like I'm bagging on Greedfall because I, I did like the game. I, I enjoyed playing it. I just didn't feel like there was anything about it that I needed a new game system to do. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I could very easily do Greedfall and Pathfinder 2 if I wanted to. Very easily. In fact, more so than I could do it in D&D 5e. Uh, Pathfinder is more flexible. Uh, I will just say that. I really like how Pathfinder 2 does stuff like races and that they don't. The ancestry system is really cool. I like how they do the archetype thing instead of multi-classing, where you take a feat, and that feat basically lets you take stuff from another class as you level in your class, and you never leave your class. You don't become anything else. I think that would work really well for Greedfall, actually. I think the archetype system from, from Pathfinder 2 is extremely suited to how Greedfall does uh, magic in that you can you can totally be a giant two-hand sword-swinging maniac in Greedfall and yet also take magic stuff. And you can do that in Pathfinder 2 super easy. So, yeah, if I were going to run a Greedfall kind of game, I would just use the systems I've got. Yeah, and I think that that's was sort of my feeling about it is not I I didn't see enough unique about it to really make it stand out as far as a system thing, right? The ideas of the world are definitely interesting and some of the concepts it has are super interesting. Uh and and I think that's more it for me. Like I I didn't see anything unique mechanic-wise and obviously I haven't played it, but you know, as it is, I think you're on the right track. Like you can take a setting and you can adapt it to anything. I mean, heck, I did Shadowrun in Powered by the Apocalypse because it could, and Shadowrun is its own game system. I just don't like the dice system. Like you can adapt anything to anything else, and I think that's more where Greedfall would benefit. So, yeah, there's nothing in Greedfall that that demands that you take that mechanic directly into your game. In my yeah. opinion. Yeah, so, but I, I, we're not trying to like poo-poo the idea. It's just I don't know anything, no. anything unique about their particular system. That's all. One of the best D and D games I've ever been in was an adaptation of World of Warcraft to D and D five E. Fun as heck, and he didn't even the DM at the time did not even bother trying to incorporate all of World of Warcraft's strange mechanics. He just used D and D classes, and it worked fine. It was no problem. I felt like I was playing. My character was a very cool. Uh, I used the ranger and barbarian classes to to model her, and she felt like a D like a WoW character. There's nothing about her that felt weird or unusual. I felt like a I felt like a survival hunter. Yeah. Okay. And I can see that. I can see that. You can absolutely do that. You know. And I bring this up to actually make this question in some way be about World of Warcraft, the game from the company we are ostensibly discussing. <laughs> But in all sincerity, it was really one of my favorite D&D games. And I really do think there's... One of the reasons we don't do World of Warcraft in our game is just plain old simple. We're not sure how it would work licensing-wise. But I would love to run a one-shot at some point where I did World of Warcraft in D&D. I absolutely have ideas for how to do it. I think it would be great. And if you want to see that, make sure you let us know. And yeah. <laughs> also throw money at our Patreon. But you know, we're not going to belabor this. Uh, so moving on to our next one, we have a question from our good friend Vertigree. 
Question for Blizzard Watch Podcast from Vertigree, our Forsaken Mage friend. Uh, is there a part of the Fourth War you expected to have seen? At the beginning of BFA, I fully expected Alliance to try marching north to the Sunwell to completely push the Horde off the continent. All-out Paladins versus Paladins battle with terrible consequences. As not much in-game happened in Silvermoon since Lothamar flipped a, a bench into a fountain in Mists Pandaria. Yeah, you know what? That's actually the big one for me. And I'm really, really shocked that there was nothing involving that. Like, when Battle for Azeroth first started, I was absolutely certain that there was going to be hell to pay up north uh, as far as the Eastern Kingdoms go. And yes, I know that there's the Ghostlands, there's the Trolls in between, but if the Alliance really wanted to, I'm fairly confident they could have they could have figured a way to do it, right? Especially with airships. Trolls really don't have airships. They, they, they have Shaman and Fly Boys, but airships with cannons, lots of them. And they're right there. Okay. Uh, I'm really, really terribly shocked that we never had anything involving Silvermoon or the Sunwell or anything like that, at least yet. That there may still be repercussions happening later on from it. And I hope there's something that happens with it because it's it's one of those things like and we've talked about this before. I think we've talked about this on Lore Watch, uh, where I could see a continental divide happening. But yeah, like that shocked me. What about you? Like what 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 did you expect that you didn't get to see? I, interestingly enough, I thought that the the Arathi war warfront was the exact reason why you didn't see anything in Silvermoon. I honestly felt like that was the horde deliberately attacking in a fight they couldn't possibly win to keep the pressure off of Silvermoon. You know, that's one of the reasons that Lady the Adrian shows up, I think, is mm -hmm. because they yeah. realize this is if we do this now it will keep the Alliance from pushing north. They'll need to fortify here. They'll need to retake it and hold it. And if we can keep fighting them here, they can't go north to Silvermoon. So I didn't I didn't expect that. So now that I think about it, there was certainly some room for it, but I wasn't at the time it didn't surprise me. What surprised me, and and this is the thing that really shocked me that didn't happen. The horde didn't make any move on the Exodar. Yeah, that that also surprised me. Like I understand that and, it's an island, but the, and the, the thing, thing is, was a thing. Not not only didn't they not make a move on the Exodar, they had recent intelligence on the Exodar because the Horde had been allowed to sail there mm -hmm. and get off their ships there, and you know they knew exactly where the dock was and how close it was to the Exodar. They knew the attack routes. They'd seen the island as they sailed up to it. It's not that Silvermoon. The last time the Alliance got to go up there was during the you know the end of the burning crusade when they were like allowed to fly up to take part in the attack on Queldenas. So they had some intelligence, but it's years old. The horde had recent intelligence on it and they actually, didn't that's not necessarily true, right? Because there was the event with the, in the Legion with the allied races. So there was Alaria was in, yeah, that's true. was up okay, there. So you got, a, you got a point there, but still, it's not, you know, even if you even if you say, okay, the, the Alliance also has recent intelligence on Silvermoon, fine. But the Horde had recent intel on, on they go on, they went into the Exodar. You know, they their forces went in and got on a spaceship there. Why didn't they go after the Exodar? And the only answer I've got that makes any sense to me, and to keep in mind, this is totally headcanon, I've seen no references in game, but I think they're afraid of the spaceship. 
Uh, yeah, probably a little bit because they know it's I in think, it, right? I know the space, not just that the, the, the Exodar itself had a spaceship, but supposedly that can't take off again, even though they said they could in a short story and then they changed their minds. But the other spaceship, the one that's Te- actually still working. Technically, technically, it's not a space vessel either, as, uh, as Zell points out that it's a space vessel. Technically, it's a multidimensional vessel. <laughs> It does both. It does go into space, guys. <laughs> if it like we right now, one's floating in orbit. You know, it's it's above our heads right now. I think that's the only reason the horde didn't go after the Exodar. Was like, what's that thing going to do? You know, we saw the cannon fire on Argus, so that's another part of the intelligence. Yeah, they shot it at, at, at in Taurus and blew up the front door. Yeah, it blew up the front door of a Titan facility. Yes, it did. A Titan facility okay. that had been fortified as a central point of power for the Legion. Yeah. So I don't think the Horde wanted that thing to fire, and I think they felt like it will fire if we go after the Exodar now, whereas if we do this other stuff, they'll be waiting to defend the Exodar, and we can make gains until such time as we have a solution to the big spaceship. But that's just headcanon. Nothing in game says that. You just yeah. It never happens. So yeah. that that'd be fine. I was I kept thinking, why are they not? They just attacked a giant tree. Why it, aren't they sailing over to attack the other place? I was just gonna say that's the other thing because it's real close to Teldrassil. Like it's not, yeah, it's not far, far away at all. So like nope. the fact that they never went there is is baffling to me. Uh, so like I, I'm on board with that too. Like those two things between Silvermoon, even if it was, you know, fortifying the landmass so that they couldn't get out or something. Like or or Exodar like putting a blockade around it so that they couldn't get out and had to rely one hundred percent on mage portals or whatever the case is. Like I'm surprised nothing happened there with either of them. Like I don't I don't understand why they were left out. And again, maybe there will be a payoff later. But yeah, those those two are huge. I, I can't think of anything else really that I would have expected other than those two things. What about you? Uh, eh, I. I could probably gin some up, but I don't really have anything off the top of my head. Yeah, I think those are the big ones. Uh, and if you have ones that you uh, w- thought you wanted to see but didn't get to see, let us know. We'd love to hear about it. Uh, our next question comes from Shadana. Question for the Blizzard Watch podcast. Why are World Quest risk rewards so imbalanced? I just saw a blue dragon circled. I just saw a blue dragon circled icon quest in Drustvar that was offering artifact power, and a purple dragon circled icon that is offering gold. Meanwhile, a normal black with a exclamation point world quest offered a four fifteen item that was a thirty level eye level upgrade. I I got nothing, man. I don't know why everything's so imbalanced. It's unbalanced because world quests attempt to do several things. In order to keep relevance for people who are like geared in like full on raid gear, gold and artifact power is at least theoretically more of a reward to them than a 445 item when they're all in 460 or better. So they don't let world quests just give the same gear past a certain point because if they did, then people could get, you know, heroic raid geared without going into a heroic raid ever. And they don't want that. They don't want to completely trivialize raid gear or mythic plus gear or what have you. Um, they want there to be 
there's a scaling thing that goes up to a certain point. That scaling gear goes up to about 420, I believe. I think 420 is the absolute cap. Usually you'll see 415 or 410. That's the, the majority of gear is 415 or 410. With, but it, with oh, emissary rewards being 445 or higher. Yeah, emissary can go up to 445. But in order for emissary to go up to 445, your gear has to be close to 445. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm at like three 434 on, on my live Lightforged Draenei, and I don't get... 445 i get 430 so you have to be like i think you have to be like at 440 before you start getting 440 or 445 yeah that as sage time points out in chat that's 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 the mark is for about 440 so that's what the because the system has been routinely it's been upgraded every patch Mm -hmm. the level of gear has gone up every patch because of that and because of how they want emissaries to be more rewarding than world quests and they want world quests and emissaries to not be quite as rewarding as up they they can get up to the level of normal rating they can't get up to the level of heroic rating so if you there's still something to do you use if you want to get gear at the 460 level or above you have to raid or do mythic plus at a certain level they want that that's part of the system and because that's part of the system like it or hate it there's always going to be weird moments where you're leveling up, you're getting your character new gear. Like I just switched like to a Lightforge. Uh, my Lightforge warrior still does world quests with like blue rewards because there's sometimes still slight upgrades for him. Like I have four ten gloves on, and I need I need upgrades to get my level high enough that all the quest all the emissary rewards will be at least four thirty. That's where they just got to for him. So I'm in that weird area where I still occasionally see a 420 reward and go, ooh. But for my first warrior, the one that I played for most of the expansion, nothing I get from a world quest that's not yeah. artifact power or gold is worth anything to me. Yeah, and I think I think that's a problem that they need to address going forward too. Like if world quests are going to remain a thing, which they've seemed to be here to stay, that's something that needs to be considered at least for for first character balance, right? Because first character balance is always off for those. And I, I'm not saying that it's an easy thing. I don't have an answer for it. I don't. I'm not I'm not a game designer. But it feels world quests feel unrewarding most of the time for me. Like I just unless I needed the rep, I don't do them. Or unless the emissary is something really good, uh, or the potential for something good that I need, I don't do them. Even on my alts, like my Death Knight, I've done only enough world quests to complete emissaries to get a chance at certain gear upgrades, and that's it. But, like, I don't touch them because there's really nothing there for me. And I know a lot of players that have have felt the same way, and it just, it doesn't feel rewarding. I don't know. The thing is that, I'm just going to say, the problem with world quests is that the world quests are designed to work for a multitude of players. Yep. And those players have different play styles. I have a, I'm in a guild that does raiding. I don't raid very much because of my... I'll just say it. Because I'm going blind and I don't like to inflict that on my raid group. I feel weird and bad about it. Sometimes I still go. But the majority of my gearing has been through world quests. And through once I get geared enough to survive them, I then go and do the, the weekly uh, invasion from the old gods. Uh, whatever the assaults are, I go and do those because those tend to give better rewards. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result, as my gear gets, you can actually watch it happen. As my gear gets better, I do less and less world quests. Oh yeah, because I'm only doing world. Qu- I don't, I don't look for artifact power world quests because you'll get artifact power. And for one thing, 
as you're leveling your character up, as of patch, like eight, I think it's eight, as of patch eight point two, you get a fifty. If you like, you can have a, a the heart of Azeroth at level like five. Uh, as soon as you get to a certain point in the quest line, it goes to level fifty. So there is no point to adding Azerite power until you do that quest, because you're it just whatever you could be at level one with your artifact power on your necklace, or you could be level seven. And all that artifact power is effectively wasted because it just jumps to 50. It doesn't jump to like 50 plus whatever you were at. Mm -hmm. It jumps to 50. So doing anything for Azerite power before that is pointless. And then once you get that, the Azerite power is literally everywhere. You will, you will be getting it whether you want it or not. So you might as well, there is no point to worrying about it. And that's, I think this is the biggest problem with World Quest is because they have to be there for everyone. They have to reward a multitude of playstyles. They have to offer rewards like gold and Azerite power that people because like Joe. universal. Yeah, Joe doesn't need gear at all. So giving him a, a new piece of gear, since it can't, at this point with Corruption, it can't Titanforge. The only use to him getting a piece of gear with Corruption on it is if he gets a really good Corruption affix that he needs. And then it's like, do I want to like drop my item level down to get this, to use this piece because it's got, I'm going to just use twilight devastation. I don't think that's any good for healing. And that's another problem with this whole system. Corruption doesn't seem to have very many really good uses. If you're healing, I've got one thing we were talking about it at a raid last night. That's a whole other, we could have an entire episode talking about that, but that complicates world quests because again, yep. You're, you're doing these world quests and you're doing really hard ones. Like you find there's this rare in the world and you're by yourself and you have to try and solo him. And you're like, I'm not geared enough for this yet, but if I get this piece of gear, so you're doing it and you're doing it and you, you know, do you get a good piece with corruption that has a good corruption affix? Uh, you know, it's a piece of, it's a 420 two handed weapon, but it's got corruption on it. Is this a good one or do, is it bad? Do I want to keep this or do I want to cleanse it? All part of the problem. The system is too complex, and it has to work for too many people for it to ever really feel like it. It, it it's what's the old saying? You know, if you have too many masters, you don't serve any of them properly. I don't yep. remember exactly how it goes, but yeah. I mean, any variation therein. So I think that's a big part of it, uh, and I I do think that Joe's right too about for a lot of players, it's just not worth it. Like. I'm going to spend, like, I'm going to play for an hour and I'm going to run around the world doing, like, you know, these emissaries, and I'm not even going to get what I want. Or get something so, useful, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think for a lot of people, for alts at least, the weapon ones tend to be good for a long time. Especially the weapon if, emissaries. If you're lucky enough to get them. I, well, I have been playing yeah. I've been playing Battle for Azeroth since it, since it dropped. I have yet to see a weapon emissary. And I'm not joking. I have never seen a weapon emissary. Ever. Okay, I I will point out that I've gotten weapons on four characters through emissaries. I am aware you have, and we've talked about this before. Yeah. I've never seen a weapon emissary. I find myself wondering if that's because you're playing a shaman. I but I don't. But I also haven't seen it on my I don't night. Know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's it's, it's really. Strange. I remember in. I remember Anne's problem getting a daggers for the for the longest time when she was we were playing this expansion. The first year of this expansion, she couldn't get a dagger to save her life. So I, I yeah, the, there's the random thing is also a part of it too. But in general, I think the problem is that it is extremely broadly designed. It has built 
in limitations so it doesn't infringe on other activities in World of Warcraft. And I don't argue that those are bad. I'm not saying that you should be able to get a heroic raid weapon from an emissary cache. But since the caches stop at a certain level, the world quests have to stop below that mm -hmm. so that the caches are useful. You want the cache to feel like, a, ooh, my cache is up. But if so, if the caches are at this level, the world quests have to be below that. Like they don't, they can't scale as well. And it just snowballs. Everything keeps snowballing. It, this is the problem World of Warcraft has had forever. It's just a different form of it. If you go back to look at like Wrath of the Lich King with the way item level kept going up and up and up till you got to like, there's a five man dungeon at the end of the expansion that offers better gear than the previous raids up to and including the raid we just left. Yeah. Like you, you were going to like, I remember doing the five man for the trinket. There was a DPS trinket that dropped in, I think the last one, but it might've been the middle one. The DPS trinket that dropped was so good for melee that they would use it over anything that dropped in Coliseum. Anything. The, the entire, Ar you know, the, the whole uh, Argent Crusade, you know, Trial of the Crusader thing, that not one trinket was as good as this one trinket from a five-man. And that's the same problem we have today with World Quests. They want to keep it so you don't say, ah, you know, I'm going to keep trying to do this Tortolan, you know, quest to get that trinket that's better than anything I'm going to get yeah. in the raid. So, yeah, and like I said, I'm not a game designer and I don't understand what their decision making process is. There definitely has to be a balance and there's definitely that whole I think Matt hit it right on the head. It's how do you make it rewarding enough to the largest amount of players and everybody's drop off point is different. Mine just happens very quickly and that's just because of how I play. So well, and, and as you just pointed out, you're not you're you haven't seen an emissary yet. If you haven't seen a weapon emissary yet, then you don't. It doesn't the 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 benefit that other people are getting. You're not getting. It doesn't and, and, matter if it exists if you never see it. And as some folks have pointed out in chat, there are some that have the option of possibly also rewarding a weapon. Um, and I'm thinking back on it. And I think I do remember seeing a couple of those that rewarded me shields. And I I think while I understand that like some of the world quests are. Um, the world quests are faction specific, not class yeah, specific, as Sage Time uh, pointed out. I think that the rewards might be weighted differently depending on what your class or I role can, is. I can straight up tell you that the rewards are weighted differently because I have seen a two-handed weapon on my Death Knight and gone switch to my warrior to get it, and it's not a two-handed weapon for my warrior. It's a one-handed weapon. It's only for protection warriors. I've seen that multiple times for world quests. The emissaries don't do that, but the emissaries are random. It just gives you a random weapon. It doesn't tell you this specific weapon. It's like you could get a weapon. In some cases, it's a piece of gear, including a weapon. I got a weapon off of a, one of the seventh Legion quests that was like armor or weapon. And I got a weapon on one of my characters and I got armor on the other. So it's not, you know, you could be either. So, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like moving bits to this and that unfortunately those can be bad. Yeah. All right. Our last one of the evening Icebringers. A question I have for you that Fimble Winter anticipate Shudder in the skin. With Vikings Creed coming out, is it time for the Vrykrul to return to WoW and perhaps be playable? Coldblood. 
I mean, I think you've made your case that you want playable Vrykrul many times. Yeah, I've, I've, you go, you talk. <laughs> uh, yeah, give me Vikings. Give me large Vikings. I don't care if they're ice Vikings, sea Vikings, uh, stone Vikings, flesh Vikings, whatever you want to give me. I'm all here for the Vrykrul. But this is an interesting thing in that it's a chance for us to have playable Vrykrul for both factions. I mean, if I had my if I had my way, you could have Rykrul on the Alliance side. Give me Viking Tuscar. Eh, yeah, I know you want Tuscar, but I mean, so badly. I if, if, if they were going to be doing something where they were going to be bringing Rykrul in to be playable for whatever reason, you there are enough kinds of Rykrul. Imagine if Cavaldir joined the Horde. Yeah, I mean, the, they, the, the, there you have your Stormborn, your or your Iceborn, your your Earthborn. You have all these elemental versions of them all over the place. Like, yeah, I th- there's definitely an interesting, interesting place to be said for that. Tuscar are another one that I actually think though, you could tie in if you wanted to do both. a Northrend retrospective. Um, my problem is that if they get, if the horde got Tuscar, they wouldn't get, they wouldn't get the Tonka. And I feel like the Tonka should, the Tonka should have been a playable race by now. They joined the horde in Wrath of the Lich King. They're in the horde now. Yeah. There are Tonka in the horde. They should be there. Yeah, that's just never made sense to me. At I least, just... ma- or at least make them a character option model choice for High Mountain and uh, and yeah. Like or let me ha- let me have Torin. a cosmetic one. Yeah, I don't think you should have it for High Mountain because it would look really dumb with the antlers. Um, but yeah, I I definitely think that there's there's room for that. Uh, absolutely, but but you know I am the guy who's going to be down for any allied race. Like you could probably sell me on anything, and the only time I might be upset is like if you gave if you gave Naga to the Alliance, I would think that was really weird. Yeah, I and agree with that. Extremely awkward for like any night elves they ran into. But also really like, awkward for any any horde. Like Naga are the awkward one. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But at least like Kalefoss worked with them, so there's like a there's a little oh yeah because of... we have a we have a lot of love for Kalefoss. Let's let's throw that out there. Well, both I mean, factions, you know, both factions love Calvas. Uh, to be fair, at least for a like smidgen of a moment, the Blood Elves who are in the Horde thought he was on their side. Sure, for like a micro, yeah. microsecond. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's yeah, Nagar weird. <laughs> but yeah, I'm totally down with with playable Vrykul. Always have been, but I, I, I do think it's interesting. You think like the Assassin's Creed Vikings game is going to do anything that way. I don't think it will. We didn't get, we didn't suddenly get Titans joining the, Oh, wait a minute. The, the come to think of it, the, uh, the Kyrians are very Greek inspired. All their, mm-hmm. uh, all their armor and architecture is very Greek. Very much so. But yeah. <laughs> but I think that's all the questions we have. Blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on the podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience. Okay, Joe, I got a final question for you. Oh, ho, ho. lay it on me. You can only have one of these two things. The one you pick will never become an option. You are I, picking one. And that one gets to be in the game. I know. I think I know which two you're going to give me, and I hate you already. Playable Tuscar. Or? Or Sentry Totem. I knew it. 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 I knew Choose. it. Choose. <laughs> Choose one. 
you know what, Century Totem? I've I've written actual like poems and songs and like a letter campaign for it. I'm kind of Sometimes committed to I the cause at this point. See me. Sometimes <laughs> I really wish you could see me because I'm just laughing so hard when the microphone's not on. I knew you were gonna do it too. The minute you started, I was like, he's gonna do it. He's gonna he's gonna give me the, the trolley dilemma. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, of course I am. I'm an evil man. <laughs> All right, that's been the show, guys. Thank you so much for being here. We'll be back next week, and apparently only Sentry Totem will be making it with us. Bye, Tuscar, to the land of Windigos. Sorry. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.